Broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in lacrosse. We finally started playing somewhat real games. The preseason is underway for the Green Bay Packers. They just had a game this past Thursday. They have another one coming this Thursday. And Matt, how do you feel about the season finally sort of starting? Well, I, we've been talking earlier this week, and I've been talking about how excited I was for the start of the season. It just seems like it's been a super long off season, so. Even though the preseason is always kind of a letdown, I've been extremely excited to get this underway. And it, it was nice to be able to sit down and watch, you know, as ugly as it was, watch a, a whole Packers preseason game last Thursday. Yeah, it certainly was nice to see the green and gold back out on the field. But uh, I, I think we had this discussion a little bit uh, last week privately. Was I, I still, for some reason, I cannot explain. Uh, I don't think I've been less excited for the start of a Packers season in a long time. That's not to say I'm not excited at all, but that loss in the playoffs last year did something to me that I can't quite describe. I'm still, I'm, I'm not going to lie, when I saw those guys in their uniforms watching the pregame show on ESPN last Thursday, I was still really mad when I saw Clay Matthews and I saw uh, Tremont Williams and I saw Aaron Rodgers and McCarthy. I was still really angry and it kind of went away as the game started. It's a new season, but hopefully that goes away for me because uh, we got a, a good chance to have a really fun season here. Uh, so let's dive right into that. Speaking of uh, the reason I picked that song, Pressure, because there was a ton of it on Aaron Rodgers and the other offensive uh, ball carriers uh, Thursday. The Packers fall to the San Diego Chargers. Um, I guess let's just start out with the offense and some of our observations. Like I said, the, the offensive line, I know they were missing some guys, uh, Marshall Newhouse, but their offensive line looked like when the defense guesses the playwright on Tech Mobile, like every single play. I was worried to death about Aaron Rodgers getting hurt, and then, of course, on his last play where he gets an interception, he gets smacked. Uh, Rodgers was pressured three times. He had to have two throwaways. Uh, he got drilled that one time that led to an interception, and then he was out of there. Started strong. Uh, he looked sharp in the f beginning of the first drive, and then once James Starks fumbled uh, in the subsequent two series, Rodgers didn't complete a pass for the rest of the game. So I guess first-team offense, I, I have a feeling I know what your impression is going to be because everybody had the same impression nationally, but uh, how bad was it? I, it was pretty ugly. I don't, I don't know how much you can really take away from it, being it was the first time they've been on the field all year, and the offensive line's been pretty banged up. No new house in that game, no Jennings, so... I mean, it was about as ugly as it can get for how good our offense is, but I guess I don't take too much stock into it at this point. The offensive line's going to get better, they and they always kind of seem to start the season slow too, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's going to be a pretty decent offensive line. Not a great one at all this season by any means, but I, I think it's going to be enough. It's got, not going to be nearly what it was that game where no matter who was back there, they didn't have any time to do anything. I agree with you. The only part that really scared me, obviously, is Aaron Rodgers uh, getting hurt. This team has a lot of talent at a lot of different positions, but I think everybody can agree on the fact that if Aaron Rodgers goes down, this team doesn't have a chance. No, absolutely not. And and I was kind of surprised they, they put him out after that first series just with how bad it looked. I I think as a coach, I'd be so tentative to put him back out in that kind of a game. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I, I agree. I, I don't know how bad this team would be if Rodgers went down, but it probably not like Colts of last year. But you know, definitely, I would say definitely probably not a 500 team if you got to put Graham Harrell in there. Oh, I was thinking more like six and ten being the ceiling. Yeah, that that'd probably be about right. Yeah, and I James Starks had he looked okay. He looked kind of like James Starks does, I guess. He uh, was rough, obviously, with a fumble. Um, I guess the positives that I had, uh, I thought Mark Tyler ran hard. His stats weren't as impressive as I thought they were when I was watching the game. Only 13 carries for uh, 32 yards, but he was a, a, a nice sight to see late in the game. Uh, Graham Harrell and B.J. Uh, Coleman both played a lot better than I thought they would, uh, especially B.J. Coleman being the first time ever seeing game action in the NFL. And Graham Harrell settled down. His receivers didn't help him much, especially in that uh, second and third quarters. And I think uh, Randall Cobb, especially once he got out there against the second-teamers, looked like a man among boys to me. Uh, that drive he really took over. And I think he's a legitimate threat to uh, maybe be the third or even fourth wide receiver for the starting team. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. He looked, he was one of the bright spots coming away from that game, was how good he looked at wideout. Because we really didn't get to see that a ton last year. So I, that's really nice to see. As well as, like you mentioned, Tyler looked pretty impressive. I'm I guess I'm not completely, you know, sold on him yet as being, you know, the heir apparent or anything. But <laughs> no. we'll we'll have to see what he can do in, in the upcoming games. Hopefully, he's you know sticks around on the roster at least, so we can maybe see him in the regular season. I, I guess I wasn't super impressed with Graham Harrell. Um, the numbers he did get a little better as the game went, but you can't fault him too much with how much pressure he was under. And uh, B.J. Coleman did look pretty good. You could definitely kind of tell he was from that Favre school. He looked pretty reckless, but he, he was hitting some really impressive throws, too, yeah. at the same time. Um, I would imagine he's probably not going to be slinging it like that if he ever gets into a, you know, a regular season game or anything meaningful, cause, mm-hmm. and they were trying to just come back and score at the end of the game. But, yeah, but yeah I was work was the two-minute drill, I think, so that probably didn't help. Exactly, yeah. And, and looking at his numbers at Chattanooga last year... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he looked a lot more impressive than I expected him to. If, if that's the kind of stuff he was putting up at a you know a one double A school or whatever you call it these days, he uh, <laughs> he was pretty impressive against a third team defense in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the first team defense, which kind of looked like the first team defense we were used to seeing in 2011. They had one sack by Nick Perry, which he showed uh, some nice pursuit, although that looked more of like a coverage sack to me. Uh, he had a ridiculous penalty on that play, which we'll get to later. Uh, I thought Devon House looked very impressive, although uh, he was going to be out for a couple weeks with the shoulder injury. Obviously, the big story coming out of that is uh, Desmond Bishop, hamstring, knee injury. Not certain yet, but looking very bad for the prognosis of him playing it all this year. And, of course, the Packers trademark these days. The busted coverage on the Antonio Gates touchdown, but that was M.D. Jennings who got burned, obviously playing where Charles Woodson will be playing in the regular season. I thought the first-team defense uh, looked like they did uh, normally last year, but a little better. They they looked okay against the run game, but once again, not many bodies out there that you're going to have on opening game, and especially with the way the injuries are going. So (laughs) who knows how much you can take from the defense's play. Yeah, I... uh... I think that the the defense looked a little better than I was expecting with how many guys were out even, actually. I, I You don't expect M.D. Jennings to be back there a ton at safety, at least you hope not, once Woodson's back and healthy. I'm sure he'll get some, some play in the nickel and dime formations, but mm-hmm. um, Nick Perry looked, looked real good. He had the sack and, yeah, the ridiculous penalty. But I agree that Devon House deflection was the play that really stood out to me 
during that game. It's, I th- believe it was a third down and long, and it was pretty much a jump ball, and he went up and knocked it down. It was just beautiful coverage, and with such a hole over that corner, if, if this guy can step up and play like that through the regular season, we might have found something. Yeah, I think he's shown enough over there to definitely get a look. Jared Bush, again, he didn't have a lot of balls thrown his way, but he still completely looks inept when it comes to trying to defend a pass once it's in the air. He always seems to be sort of in position, but he never knows quite what to do once the ball is headed at him. And I don't know if you've heard anything. Maybe he's hurt, or maybe I'm not in the know, but it just seems like... How far has Sam Shields fallen to where it doesn't even appear that he's in the conversation to be the second corner after a very impressive rookie year? And uh, despite last year having a lot of struggles, certainly he's not as poor as Jarrett Bush is at corner. You wouldn't think so. He wasn't great last year, but, I mean, he played so well in the nickel, so maybe they're just set on putting him back there. But I guess, yeah, I I haven't heard anything else about him being injured or anything. He's just fallen, I guess. And it seems like Shields is just out of the loop right now and... I, he's got some preseason games to maybe win it back here, but kind of a depressing thought considering how much, you know, what we thought we had a couple of years ago with him as a as a rookie mm-hmm. and playing at our nickel spot on a Super Bowl winner. So mm-hmm. um, for him to kind of fall off like this and not make strides forward is, is a pretty, uh, pretty sad thought for the Packers. Yeah, hopefully he can turn it around or they can find some kind of uh, consistency out at that second cornerback position, especially now with Charles Woodson having to play safety pretty much whether they want him to or not with their depth back there. So hopefully they can figure something out. But we're going to bring back right now a feature that was in our first podcast. I don't know how often we'll have it, but there was a couple things that came to light during this uh, week in this game that I thought were worthy of the rant room. We are now entering the rant room. Check your reason and logic at the door. It's time for your pure fan reactions. Anything goes. That is a disgusting act, and it's unfortunate that we had that on our air live. That is disgusting. And remember, once the rant room door closes, it never happened. Okay, obviously the one that's been talked about quite a bit is the referees this past week. I don't know if you felt the same way, but oh my gosh, were they horrible. That flag they threw on Nick Perry, unless he said something, was ridiculous. And I saw that the referee, he was from one or uh, Division II college football, so maybe you can't do anything down there. But I just couldn't believe that. And the one that really bothered me and what made me want to get Aaron Rodgers out of there is that they're talking about the fumble on the kickoff that uh, Burrell had, but that was so clearly a blatant helmet-to-helmet shot. He led with the helmet. He tried to hit him with the helmet, and the flags stayed in the pocket for that. And then there's other ticky-tack things that they would call that didn't seem to be a problem. Um, I'm not too worried about the competitive balance being affected by these referees. I'm very worried about player safety being affected by these referees. Yeah, it, w- it was pretty bad. Um, the Nick Perry call was just awful. I don't think he said anything either. I, I Kind of how I took it was maybe that referee just trying to make a statement at the beginning of the game, how they're not going to get pushed around it. Mm-hmm. But that would never get called, at least with the, the regular referees in a regular game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw around the league, they were, they were showing a couple of really bad examples. There was a, a one game where a t- there was a, a punt, it was down at the five-yard line, clearly, like it wasn't even close, it stopped at the five, a guy downed it, and then they, they called it a touchback, and they brought it out to the 
to the 20-yard line, and nobody understood what was going on, and they had no explanation for it. it. It's just some of these things that these guys had supposedly refereed before, but anybody who's watched football obviously knows you know, what the call should be there. Um, and I, I heard another case where I forget which player it was, but he tweeted that um, he heard one of the refs saying that the biggest thing he had refereed before this was a glorified high school football game. <laughs> oh, jeez. And he's like, what does that even mean? Yeah, um, yeah, glorified. Is that like uh, JV practice? or? Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, it's just some of these things that nobody would make some of these calls. And, and I, I guess, like you said, in terms of the player's safety, I would prefer that they... I don't, it's kind of a dangerous thought, but I'd almost prefer they overcalled it a little bit. Yeah. Um, than to let it go just because you don't want to see players thinking, okay, all of a sudden I can get away with this when I normally couldn't, and mm-hmm. leading with the helmet and taking out quarterbacks by the legs or going after the head, something like that. But um, again, you don't want it to affect the game too much. But I, you know, you'd rather much see the guys on your team stay healthy than, you know, maybe get a call you don't agree with that costs you ten yards. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, hopefully they can resolve this soon. I know at least for another week we're going to have replacement referees. I haven't heard much news as far as the referees uh, coming, or referees in the NFL coming to the table and discussing things, so good bet we're going to have them at least for the duration of the preseason, so hopefully they can get their act together. And the other thing that isn't really a rant on anybody, but the injuries. They had 21 guys out of practice on Saturday. And they had 19 out on Sunday. Do they need to like pass around vitamins or something? Like, I don't understand how a team... They say it's bad luck, but they've had bad luck with injuries for like four straight years in like the preseason, and especially in 2010. Last year they had different guys that were hurt. Just how does that happen? Like, is it carelessness? Is it just... Bad luck, and I haven't been able to compare it with other teams, but these huge injury spells seems to, seem to happen to the Packers more than they happen at, to, to other teams with their entire depth at, at running back at, well, defensive line has a lot of suspensions, but now at linebacker, too, has just been completely decimated by injuries. It's starting to get thin out in the defensive backfield. I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I just have to, to vent a little bit because it seems impossible. How can you get that unlucky two of the last three years, for sure? It's crazy, and I, I completely agree. With, I can't fathom how this keeps happening year after year. I mean, we think 2010 is as bad as it gets, but it, it just stays the same. It's consistent. And you see a team like the Giants win the Super Bowl, a large part doing with that they're healthy, mm-hmm. almost completely healthy. They had nobody on the, the injured reserve list or unable to perform. And you just see, like you said, what was it, 21 guys were inactive? 21 guys were inactive on the Saturday's practice. And, and I mean, in a large part, it's the same guy. I, I went to the Packers training camp the other night on Saturday night, and one of the biggest things I took away from the training camp is that Frank Zombo was still on the team. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been injured for, you know, pretty much the whole season for the last two years, as long as a, as well as a couple other guys who I saw out there that's like, gosh, these guys have, haven't actually played in a game in forever, mm-hmm. and you kind of forget they're on the team. So, I mean, it's a lot of the same guys, but it, how do, you know, these professional athletes that are in such good shape, and we have this supposedly, you know, great training coaches, great medical doctors, and but we just can't stay healthy at all. Um, I mean, things like Bishop getting hurt, that there's nothing they can do about that. Yeah, right. But it just seems like these little lingering injuries that last forever. Well, just like it seems like everybody's pulling quads and uh, tightening up hamstrings and dislocating shoulders and breaking fingers. It's like, I don't know. It just is so 
confusing and, and incredibly frustrating. It's so frustrating to us, I can't imagine what it's like to the coaching staff or the players themselves. Uh, I guess real quickly to round out uh, our Packers talk for this week, um, a couple items. Obviously the big news this weekend was the signing of Cedric Benson, the Bears bust, and then Bengals uh, quality starter, I guess we'll call him. Um, he's 29 years old. He's coming in. James Starks now has an injury, of, of course. Um, that seems to be expected at this point. Uh, it's certainly not his fault, but another one of those unlucky guys. Uh, Starks has a turf toe, which they don't know how long that's going to take. So uh, what do you feel about the signing of uh, Cedric Benson? Do you think it'll fit in, or maybe it's just for depth and we might not even notice he's on the team? I think we vary a little bit on this because I... I told you as soon as I heard it on Friday, I sent you a text that said Cedric Benson with an exclamation point because <laughs> I was extremely excited by the signing. And I, I know it kind of goes, comes and goes by without a lot of fanfare. It's just Cedric Benson, you know, he's not a flashy running back. But I really think this is what we've been missing since Ryan Grant's been healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- when you watch Starks run, I think there's so many yards left on the field that we're not getting. Uh, and I think just having a guy who's used to, you know, a one-back system, the zone blocking, um, who can come in here and just pick up those yards. He's not going to bust long touchdowns, but he's going to do, in my mind, what Ryan Grant did, which I loved for years, and I know you did too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people thought you know, he wasn't great and that they wanted to replace him right away after 2007, but I really think that this is a good signing. And if you know if it doesn't end up working out for him as a starter, it, hopefully he'll push some of these guys. Alex Green's been highly touted for two years. Um, Starks was you know, awesome in the Super Bowl win. Um, mm-hmm. But... I, just, I really think that this is a good signing, and I think he's going to end up being the starter. I think he's got so much to prove. Uh, everybody's written him off. He was you know, devastated that nobody had signed him. The Bengals basically let him walk mm-hmm. after three very good seasons. And um, I think it's, it's low risk, high reward, and I think this was a great signing by the Packers. Yeah, you certainly make some good points, and if he's anything like Ryan Grant, I'll, I'll be very satisfied. I don't expect him to have 1,200 yards. I don't know if he'll get the opportunity no, to probably, have 1,200 yards. No, probably carries for that. Yeah, exactly, and and maybe he could use a lighter schedule considering the Bengals you know, worked him really hard in the uh, three years he was there. I, I think he's probably an upgrade over everybody else. I think I'm not comfortable yet saying he's an upgrade over Starks. Uh, maybe I'm still thinking of Starks in the 2010 playoffs as opposed to Starks of last year. And, you know, Starks, I mean, one game uh, against the Chargers is hard to judge for Starks of 2012. But uh, we'll see. I think maybe I'm not as excited as you are, but uh, just a guy that can contribute. And what I want from Cedric Benson is kind of what Ryan Grant provided the team is when you're playing some tougher defenses, uh, especially those cover two teams that seem to sit on a lot of our short routes and things like that, tougher teams that you have difficulty stretching, a guy in there who can get the yards you need, kind of get the defense off guard a little bit, and then pick them apart. Uh, I I remember I used to always call Ryan Grant the bear killer, because he always used to have a huge game against the Bears, and not necessarily like giant Walter Payton and Armand Green numbers, but he would have numbers very strong in the first half, and then Rodgers would pick him apart once the hole started opening up. So if uh, Cedric Benson could do that, I'll certainly be uh, satisfied. And, and I agree with you, maybe not 100%, but he has a very good shot of being the starter for this team this year. 
And I think one of the biggest parts of his game that's really going to help is towards the end of the game. He's a, a lot more of a bruiser than Starks was, so we're going to be passing the whole, you know, most of the first three quarters in the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get our offense that way. But for somebody to be able to come into these games when we have a lead and start, you know, running down the clock and, and keep the offense going, where Starks it just seems consistently getting, you know, negative one yards, two yards, one yard towards the end of the game, and we kind of just start handing it to Kuhn after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's I think that's a big upgrade for the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, certainly that's a possibility. I think uh, if one thing I would like to see from Cedric Benson is if it's a fourth down and two, can we not see that Kuhn inside keep or a Rodgers bomb down the sidelines that goes incomplete? Can we just give it to Cedric Benson on one of those fourth and twos that I know McCarthy will try at least eight times this year? Yeah, and the, it seems like the Kuhn chants get to him sometimes, because yeah. as much as everybody loves Kuhn, and I do too, it seems like a, a good percentage of those plays don't work when he's supposed to be you know, a short yardage specialist. Well, they got um, one play. It's that yeah. inside from the fullback position, it's like not a lot of people are fooled by it. Yeah, nobody's fooled by that anymore. <laughs> Uh, and then, real quickly, uh, Desmond Bishop, obviously going to be a huge hole at linebacker. Uh, the good shot to replace him, at least for now, is going to be DJ Smith. Uh, last year, he had 38 tackles. He had an interception against the Raiders in three starts. So uh, what do you think the odds are of him retaining that spot throughout the season? I think it's pretty good. I think what we've seen from him so far has been you know, very impressive for a backup linebacker who nobody really expected too much out of coming in. Um, he kind of seems like... He's quite a bit different player than Bishop, whereas Bishop, you know, last year led the team in tackles, not real flashy. And I think Smith probably isn't going to be as good of a tackler, but I think he has that aptitude to make the bigger plays um, that we're lacking out of both Hawk and Bishop in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one huge upgrade. I think Hawk can, you know, pick up the tackles, pick up the slack, um, and but I think that having somebody there who might, you know, make more big plays for this defense could be a could actually almost be somewhat of an upgrade. I mean, you don't want to lose Bishop, absolutely not, but mm-hmm. I, I think that there's some parts of the Smith's game that might actually help this defense out a little bit. Yeah, he did show a, a knack for being in the right spot to make uh, some big plays, or at least give himself some big play opportunities in the amount of time he got to play last year. He's a little small. Uh, it'd be nice to have a guy the size of Desmond Bishop in there, uh, but you know, you don't have to be the biggest guy in the world to, to be an effective linebacker. So uh, hopefully, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think they'll give him a good chance, and and all he's got to do is, uh, you know, not be out of position, not get killed by the, the the tight ends, not get blocked out of every single hole. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I think he's got a chance. He showed enough of a flash last year to at least give him a good solid look before making any uh, decisions. And it's a big injury, but I think this is at least one that you can um, take and keep going with the season without feeling, you know, like everything's lost, like if maybe we were to lose Clay or something like that. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I think this is a very talented team, but uh, I'll say it again. There's one guy you can't lose. Everybody else you can probably deal with. Yep. All right, and then that concludes our discussion on the Packers' 21-13 loss and the subsequent events uh, of the first week of the preseason. On to Cleveland now. Actually, Cleveland will come on to Lambeau Field. And believe it or not, Matt, I got some uh, fun facts for you for this Cleveland game. Let's hear them. Okay, um, the Packers have played the Browns. Uh, this will be the eighth time they've played since the Browns have returned in 1999. The Packers lead this uh, grueling series 4-3. to three. Uh, They had a huge lead while Sherman was here, and then Mike McCarthy lost it with two losses the last two years in the preseason. So obviously they're out to out for blood this year. And believe it or not, the Packers 
of course, had a 19-game win streak in 2010 and 2011. That was the second longest of all time, the longest streak of never trailing in the fourth quarter. If you include the preseason, they won 22 of the 23 contests they completed in. Of course, their only loss was to the Cleveland Browns, 27-17 on August 13th, uh, 2011. So they could have been 23 for 23 if it weren't for those pesky Browns last year down at Cleveland Stadium. So uh, let's go get some revenge this year, and uh, so hopefully Graham Harrell can make these guys pay. <laughs> yeah, and I just absolutely can't wait to the conclusion of this epic saga here with the Browns. <laughs> no, the entire world is waiting on bated breath there. With they really breath. are. Um, but no, I, it should be, at least be entertaining. The second preseason game with the starters will probably pay, play a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one interesting storyline that I heard that is a possibility is that Colt McCoy might be playing on our team against the Browns. Oh, wow. Um Adam Schefter had been talking about it. I don't know how serious the talks are, but um, obviously depth at quarterback here isn't great right now. If we lose Rodgers, we're pretty much done for. So um, bringing in somebody who's at least got a little bit of starting experience Mm -hmm. um, might be a possibility. And they've, at least from what Schefter said, there's at least been a little bit of interest. So, um, again, I don't know how serious, but that would at least be a nice storyline if if McCoy could – somehow get over here before that game and suit up for us and play against this old team. Yeah, definitely. I do have some news for Adam Schefter, though. If Colt McCoy comes to the Packers and Rodgers is down and Colt McCoy plays, they're still pretty much done for. Yeah, they might win an extra game or something, but mm-hmm. uh, I, they're still not making the playoffs without Rodgers. No, absolutely not. Um, and one last action-packed preseason stat. I saw in the Journal Sentinel they were kind of killing the Packers a little bit um, with their game story. Uh, how they looked horrible in the first preseason game. And they mentioned that Mike McCarthy's preseason record is 12-13 and 13 now, and he's 2-5 and five in preseason openers, which sounds pretty bad. But I actually looked at the numbers game by game, and of course games 2 and 3 are the ones where they, the starters play quite a bit. McCarthy is actually 9-3 and three in games 2 and 3 of the preseason, and he's won 7 in a row in weeks 2 and 3 of the preseason. The last time they lost one of the midweeks of the preseason was at San Francisco when Aaron Rodgers was trying to prove a point back in his uh, first year as a starter. And a lot of those losses, the 13 losses, uh, counts five straight week four preseason losses to the Tennessee Titans and Kansas City Chiefs starters. So... I think McCarthy's done better than his record suggests in the preseason. Yeah, and, and I like that set that you brought up that he's nine and three, set in two and three in the preseason. So I mean, mm-hmm. that's really what matters. If you're losing one and four, I mean, I mean who cares, honestly? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, your backups are in the whole game. You're probably not you're probably resting a bunch of guys in both of them because you know guys getting injured in training camp and then resting before the regular season. And um, so to be nine and three and two and three, I mean. That actually matters a little bit. You want to see what your starters can do against teams. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, he, he's been good in the preseason. Again, it's the preseason. So yeah, don't jump off if, that bridge quite yet. Yeah, even if they were bad in two and three, they're still winning in the regular season. So I could really care less if they're winning these games. You just like to see some positives coming away from the games, really. Although one doom and gloom stat, well, I got it in my hands here. They've only had a losing preseason twice: oh six, oh eight. So. Don't so as long as we don't have a losing record, this preseason will be okay. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so um, with that, let's talk a little bit uh, real quick about the rest of the league. Um, was there anything that stuck out to you, Matt, with uh, some big things going on? Uh, Andrew Luck, RG3 getting their first opportunities to play? 
I thought Luck looked great um, mm-hmm. in his game. I, I guess I expected him to have a good season and everything. And it's, again, it's just week one of the preseason. And but it's looked, the Rams. Yeah, and it's the Rams. But he looked he looked comfortable at least. Um, and RG three looked pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we just had the Chad Johnson releasing t- mm-hmm. this morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually got somebody who uh, commented last time to me when we were talking uh, about our division predictions and talking about how we couldn't think of any receivers on the Dolphins other than Devon Best. Um, <laughs> so so I'm justified here because <laughs> I forgot to bring up Chad Johnson's name, and he's already off the team. So, um, But I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like there's too many ramifications for that. You know, I don't know how big of a season he would have had anyways. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty much done at this point. He's just bringing bad PR to your team at this point, especially for a first-year coach. Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing that I took out of week one of the preseason, or the full week one of the preseason, was the Seattle Seahawks. They Matt Flynn, 11 of 13, uh, 71 yards and one interception, where Seattle fans, if any of you are listening to this, get used to the one Matt Flynn token interception. It happens in pretty much every single game he plays in preseason or regular season, but he's good for the rest of the game. And of course, Badger Russell Wilson, 12 of 16, 124 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, three rushes for 59 yards and a 32-yard touchdown run. Uh, So that obviously was really good. If I'm a Seattle fan, I'm really, really happy that we have two quarterbacks that at least look like an upgrade over last year's team, but unfortunately, with those dreadful uniforms, I don't want to watch any of the games. Yeah, they look terrible. I when I, they initially unveiled them for the uh, for Nike or whatever, I thought they looked pretty cool. But then seeing them on the field, it looked like a you know a football team from like a bad movie, like any given Sunday, <laughs> like a team they would play against or something. They just looked terrible. Yeah, I that and then I noticed you mentioned that on Facebook, and then I copied you on on Twitter. Is the uh, polo shirt look that a lot of these teams seem to have? I wonder if they're going to actually put collars on them so you can have like the. Baltimore Ravens or Jets <laughs> popping their collars in the middle of the game, but that just looks silly to me. I, I don't understand what that is supposed to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming Nike is trying to do something to make the uniforms look different from what Reebok had, but it looks stupid. I, a lot of teams didn't take it. I, I noticed the Colts didn't, um, Tennessee at least not didn't. on their away, away jerseys, and, and we didn't, thank God. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't get what the look is supposed to be. I think it's just supposed to be like a multicolored collar, but they cut it off right so it looks like they have a long sleeve dress shirt or a polo like underneath their pants. <laughs> yeah, well, they're trying to get a little bit more classy in the NFL, apparently. Uh, maybe they'll have some bow tie collars coming out next year with the uh, new Nike uniforms. So that's our opinion on week one of the preseason. I know I've felt like I wrapped this up three times, but that's it. We're moving on to what if, and it was a topic submitted to us by Twitter. Uh, what if Don Mikowski had not gotten hurt in 1992 and would have played the entire season? So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Green and Gold Forever, and I know that's a peculiar choice for a return bumper, but that's the song that was going through my head while I was seeing the Packers again for the first time on Packers Family Night and checking the scores to see the Brewers struggling to beat teams like Philadelphia and teams like the Houston Astros. (laughs) Just thinking about that couple of weekends in October and how fun that was. Uh, I hope we can have a weekend like that again sometime in Wisconsin sports, but... Didn't we almost have it all? We were so close. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure the Brewers will get back, but uh, yeah, that was a nice time when they were making their playoff run, and the Packers were awesome, and I'm sure the Packers will still be great this year, but uh, one half of that equation is not so good right now. Yeah, and stupid Michigan State, too. They ruined it. <laughs> what if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. And Mikowski appears hurt. Uh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if? Okay, uh, let's move on to the What If segment. Uh, like I said, it's submitted by Twitter, and thanks, everyone. We've gotten a ton of tweets and uh, Facebook messages and some emails and even some YouTube comments about different What If segments. So thank you, everyone, who's uh, submitted those, and we'll try our best to get to all of those. We're going to probably do What If on every other week once the season starts really rolling. Uh, just because we're going to have a, a ton to talk about, obviously, especially with fantasy football coming up. So um, we're, we'll try our best to get to as many of those as possible. But keep sending those, and if we keep getting a bunch, and they're all great ideas like they have been so far, um, maybe we'll we'll do uh, more than I just mentioned. But uh, this week's what-if topic was submitted uh, via Twitter by Abraham 34 He writes, at Green and Gold Forever, what if Don Mikowski didn't get hurt? What if he started the whole 1992 season? Would we have flourished with Holmgren? 1991 was a continuation of a long string of bad health, bad play, and bad luck for Don Mikowski. The one-time Magic Man, who just two years earlier finished second in the NFL's most valuable player voting, was banged up and sitting on the bench as he watched former Bears quarterback Mike Tomzak play out the string on another losing campaign for the Green Bay Packers. Things couldn't get much worse. But things started to look better as 1992 began. On January 11th, San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator Mike Holmgren was hired to replace Lindy Infante as head coach. While in San Francisco, Holmgren was in charge of one of the most powerful offenses of all time. He coached Hall of Famer Joe Montana to his best year as a pro in 1989, and was just coming off a 1991 campaign that saw two 49er quarterbacks, Steve Young and Steve Bono, finish ranked in the top four in the league in passer rating. One of the first things Holmgren decided when he came to Green Bay was that the quarterback job was Don Mikowski's to lose, but there certainly would be competition. Mike Tomzak led the team in passing in 1991, and in February, new Packers general manager Ron Wolf traded a first-round draft choice for the player he originally wanted to draft the year before when he was working for the New York Jets, quarterback Brett Favre. When camp arrived, Brett Favre was named the backup quarterback. The starting position would be a battle between Mikowski and Tomzak. Mikowski would win the job rather easily because Mike Tomzak never reported to training camp. He would hold out for 26 days until the team released him in the first round of preseason cuts. Mikowski would start opening day. Mikowski's 1992 campaign started off promising with a solid start in an overtime loss to the eventual division champion Minnesota Vikings. The next week in Tampa Bay, however, Mikowski struggled. He was replaced at halftime by Brett Favre, who didn't fare much better. The Packers were pounded by the Bucks 31-3, and Green Bay found themselves at the familiar position of 0-2. Holmgren would name Mikowski the Week 3 starter against the 2-0 Cincinnati Bengals at Lambeau Field. 
Angry about being benched the week before, Mikowski was out to prove he belonged as the starting quarterback. His third and final start of the 1992 season lasted six plays. Mikowski hurt his ankle and would leave the game. Brett Favre would enter the game and engineer a dramatic comeback that resulted in a 24-23 Packers win. And when Mikowski was ready to return later that season, Holmgren stuck with his gut and kept Favre as his starter despite a personal policy that a starter could not lose his job to injury. Favre would start every Packer game for the next 16 seasons and lead the team to 160 victories and a Super Bowl championship. Mikowski would spend the rest of his career in relative obscurity. He would start eight more games the rest of his career for two different teams. In his final season in 1996, the Magic Man would return to Green Bay as the starter for the Detroit Lions. He would watch his former backup throw four touchdown passes, and the Lions were soundly beaten by Brett Favre and his eventual world champion teammates. But what if Don Mikowski hadn't gotten hurt? Would he have flourished under Mike Holmgren's system and returned to prominence, or would Brett Favre have eventually overtaken him anyways? What would the legacy be of both Favre and the Magic Man? What if Don Mikowski had not gotten hurt on September 20th, 1992? Alright, so there's the history behind this topic, and um, Matt, why don't you begin this time around and uh, give us your thoughts on what you think might have happened if Don Mikowski had stayed healthy in uh, 1992. Okay, well, um, I I mean, obviously, Mikowski probably would have been, you know, continually starting throughout that season, but uh, you kind of look at how things were going for him. Um, been banged up the last couple of years before that. He only threw three touchdowns and eight picks in 91, um, so the year that he before he got hurt. Um, so, I mean, you look at Brett Favre coming in, having an awesome game uh, against the Bengals there after the injury, um, winning the game, and it seems to me that this is kind of when Brett started to create all of that magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 92, he comes in. If, if Mikowski doesn't get hurt here, um, I think the biggest thing that happens is that maybe um, Favre doesn't quite have the leash that he ended up having. Um, so Mikowski goes down, Favre comes in, plays great in 92. Um, but then in 93 is kind of where he started to struggle a little bit then. Um, so you wonder if he didn't, you know, I think Mikowski probably would end, have end up, ended up losing his job anyways. Um, I just kind of feel like. Um, the franchise had, had sort of had enough. He had a, he had a really good season in, in 89, um, 27 touchdowns, 20 picks, threw for a ton of yards. Um, but other than that, um, just wasn't really anything special. And um, So, I, I mean, I think he probably would have lost the job, whether it was that season or maybe the start of the 93 season. Um, but then you look at Brett Favre coming in fresh in 93. Um, I guess you don't really know um, how he's going to perform if he starts the season as the starter. So... Um, I guess, in, in my opinion, I won't get quite to the conclusion yet. I'll let you talk. But I, I feel like maybe Favre's leash would have been a little bit shorter. Um, but I feel like Favre probably would have ended up being the starter anyways eventually. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I think you make a lot of really good points. Um, Don Mikowski is very interesting. I think in 1989, that's what people remember him by up here. And, and rightfully so. That He was fantastic that year. Led the NFL in passing yardage. Um, led also in completions. In a very, very solid year. When he comes back in 1990, however, he did get hurt in 1990, but it wasn't until the end of the season. Still started eight games. He held out. Uh, Rocky, only a 73.5 quarterback rating, which is still okay in 1990, but not that great. Um, passable. And then, like you said, in 1991, he was dreadful. A 59 quarterback rating in eight starts. Battled a lot of different injuries all year. And then in 1992... Um, 
Mike Holmgren really liked him over their other quarterbacks. They had Blair Keel in camp, who had a few starts, didn't do a whole lot. They had Mike Tomczak, who had a reasonably successful late 1991 for the Packers. And, of course, they had uh, Brett Favre in camp. And Mikowski was his opening day starter. He, he really struggled, though, in the first couple of games, which makes me think that, ultimately, in 92, they probably wouldn't have got off to that hot start. Even with Brett Favre, who, let's be honest here, even though people talk about how it was a growth and it took him forever and then all of a sudden he blossomed in 94 and 95, if you compare him to the rest of the league, he was a pro bowler in both 1992 and 93, where in 93 he maybe didn't deserve it, but in 1992 he certainly did. He was near the top of the league in completion percentage. Actually, his percentage that year would be the highest of his career up until 2007. Uh, He was among the league leaders in passing yardage, uh, in touchdowns with 18, and had one of the lower interception uh, percentages in the entire league, only through 13 that year. Made the Pro Bowl roster. They won that game, a comeback against Cincinnati, who was 2-0 at the time, and then they took on Bill Cowher's uh, 3-0 Pittsburgh Steelers, and Favre played very solid in that game. He didn't turn the ball over. Uh, the Packers won, and they got off to a 2-2 and start, which now sounds like a horrible start for the 92 Packers. That was something to be proud of. They fall back. They have a few losses in a row to fall to two and five. But at that point, by the time McCarthy or Mikowski was ready to come back, they had decided that Brett Favre was going to be our guy because he had had a comeback. He had beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that if Mikowski was able to stay healthy through that game, they would have lost to Cincinnati in all likelihood. They probably don't beat Pittsburgh, who is a very good team, ended up being the two seed in the AFC that year and a, a perennial AFC championship contender throughout the next five years. I think that Mikowski either can't stave off Favre, or if he does, he completes the season and then he's released anyways after the season is over. I don't think with as much confidence as... Ron Wolf had in Brett Favre, and the price they paid to get him. Remember, Brett Favre wasn't Tom Brady, and he wasn't a sixth-round draft choice. He was traded for a first-round draft pick that the team could have desperately used for as, as limited they were in so many positions back then. I think Brett Favre is the starter in 1993, regardless of what Don Mikowski does. I think if Mikowski's in, that team had a moderately good defense, uh, passable offense, but without Favre and, and Sterling Sharp, obviously Mikowski and Sterling Sharp had some um, chemistry together. But I think that without Brett Favre, that 92 Packer team is seven and nine, six and ten. I don't think they're nine and seven without Brett Favre. To be perfectly honest with you, he played very, very well. So I think that Mikowski stays healthy, and I know I'm rushing to my conclusion, but I'll let you get to yours. If Mikowski plays in 1992. He has somewhat of a successful campaign, maybe has a bigger splash in free agency than he ultimately had in 93, signing as a backup for Indianapolis. Uh, Maybe it helps his career, but for the Packers, I think he's released, and Brett Favre, regardless of what Mikowski does, is going to be your starter in 1993. Okay, yeah, and I mean, do you want to go ahead and say what you think, you know, what kind of ramifications that might have down the road, or? Sure. Yeah, I think the ramifications for that would be pretty similar to what they are. Maybe it takes Brett Favre a little bit longer to mature, but the team had also matured too as well. In 93, the team was better than Favre was. In 94, Favre was better than the team was. In 95, they kind of matured together. The defense was was uh, recovering from some of the woes they had in 94. Brett was phenomenal, as he had been in the second half of 1994. Um, Favre, of course, won the MVP in 1995. I think maybe 94 is more like 95, or vice versa, where 
maybe they're about 9 and 7 in 93, about 9 and 7 in 94, and maybe in 95 they aren't quite ready to have a lead in the NFC Championship game in the fourth quarter at Dallas like they did. So maybe they struggle, don't get out of the second round. I still think, though, it would have turned enough heads to get people in in 1996, especially with Reggie White really doing the hard sell to get a lot of guys here like Keith Jackson and Eugene Robinson since he really started to see the writing on the wall. And I still think in 96 or 97, one of those two years, they still win the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, and, and I agree with most of that. Um, I'll go back to kind of where you left off before with the, with the Mikowski. I, I agree that they probably would have... Um, either put Farvin towards the end of the season if they're struggling, or he probably would have been the starter in 93, um, because like you said, they invested a first-round pick in him. He was going to get his chance. Um, so, like you said, I, the development might be a little further back. Um, so I think that 94 and 95, like you said, might kind of fluctuate a little bit. So, I, I mean, we didn't make a Super Bowl run until 95, so he still has those, you know, two, three years to kind of develop into what he's become. So maybe we aren't in the NFC Championship game in 95, um, and we don't come into 96 is pretty much, you know, the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl. Um, maybe a little bit more of a dark horse, but I think that team was still so good. Um, and I don't really think, like you said, Reggie White bringing guys in or, or helping bring guys in and the way that uh, Ron Wolf was, you know, running the show, I, I think we still... Um, have to be the favorites in 96. Um, so, again, I don't think too much is going to change. I think, yeah, like you said, maybe Mikowski gets a bigger contract, but um, at the end of the season, if he does finish, you know, decently. Um, but, I mean, just for argument's sake, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I pretty much feel like everything would go down about the same, maybe just a few differences in records and maybe 94, 95. But, um, you know, what if what if Mikowski does stick around in 93? I mean, do you think that Favre probably just beats him out that year, too, during the season, and maybe we're just, you know, another year behind, or what? Well, that's tough to say. I, I think he wasn't really given a fair chance to compete in 92, so I really can't say how close they really were. Um, I, have, I actually have a preseason game from 1992, and if... I haven't seen it in years, but if I remember correctly, Favre's first pass in his first preseason game for the Packers is a pick six, uh, fittingly. Um, and, but Mikowski was not very good either, so I, I think he probably does beat him out in 1993. I, I think what we're kind of talking about here, maybe, that we could have a chance to speak about is the NFL, when they tell the story of Brett Favre, they like to tell this narrative about how this was this young gunslinger with shades of talent, but he was mistake-prone, and he was did all these kind of things, and and Mike Holmgren had to put the reins on him and show him the way, and then he blossomed into this superstar, which overall is kind of true, but I think that's incredibly simplistic. Favre was good right out the gate. If you look at his contemporaries, I mean, even in 1993 when he struggled, maybe he has the same 93 season, throws... I'm looking at it right now. He's got uh, 61% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns, 24 interceptions. Well, I'm looking, uh, that's a 72 quarterback rating. Warren Moon, who led a 12-4 and Houston Oilers team, went to the Pro Bowl. His season was 58% completion, 21 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. This guy's wow. a Pro Bowl, uh, Pro Bowler. Boomer Esiason went to the Pro Bowl, 60. 1% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, that's a 84 quarterback rating, so a little bit bre better than Brett Favre. So it's not like his 24 interceptions was disastrous uh, 
compared to his contemporaries, it wasn't that far off the pace. It was a little higher. Uh, as a matter of fact, he had four interceptions in the last game of the year against Detroit when he really wasn't playing very well. So I don't think he played as disastrously as the old NFL films narrative likes to suggest. He was pretty much... At, when you compare him to the people in his time, he was pretty much an elite quarterback from that first time he took a snap against the Cincinnati Bengals. So, yeah, according to the NFL films and you know Kevin Bacon on Far Forever, <laughs> <laughs> they make this Mikowski injury into being you know the the, the chance that Favre got. But according to us, um, you know, regardless if he got injured or not, we think that uh, you know Favre's legacy basically ends up pretty much the same. Then, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay, so that wraps up another edition of What If, and we'll want to thank uh, Jay Abraham 34 again for his uh, submission of this topic on Twitter. Everybody, please uh, continue to give us all your great ideas. We have a, a bunch of other ones that we want to get to shortly from others on Twitter and on YouTube and our Facebook page. And if you haven't been following us or don't know how to reach us on uh, those different media sites, you can go to Twitter. Uh, that's Green Gold Forever on Twitter. The word green, the word gold, the number four, the word ever. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast, where you can interact with us. And Matt's going to be doing some updates during games, where I'll be doing updates on Twitter, so you can kind of interact with us during the games if that's something you care to do. You can also go to our email address, which is greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our YouTube page, which is Green Gold. Number four, the word ever, same as uh, our Twitter handle, where you can hear past segments from the show and also get a segment-by-segment -segment breakdown of the complete show uh, every week it comes out. So uh, let us know what you think about anything, and also keep pumping in those what-if topics, and give us your opinions on uh, different things going on with the Packers. We'll have a chance to read them. And actually, we did post a question on our Facebook page today uh, that we got a response from, so Matt uh, will be able to share that with us. Okay, yeah, so uh, Caleb had just posted on uh, what we had said where we just wanted to get some thoughts about the preseason so far, um, thoughts about the game. So um, Caleb was the one who posted on it, kind of agreed with a lot of what we said, um, said the refs kind of stunk, which we uh, <laughs> ranted about a little bit, so can't disagree there. Um, said that he really wants to see the starting D, which I look forward to too. And he also says that uh, he can't wait to see Tyler get some more reps uh, because he liked what he saw, and you kind of agreed with him there too. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would just say to our fans, you know, feel free to post on you know Facebook and Twitter. If you comment on you know just your opinions and thoughts, you're likely going to get in the show. So I would definitely recommend doing that. Yeah, definitely. So we'd love to hear from you, and hopefully we can incorporate that into our next episode, which should be about a week from today. Uh, you should look around Tuesday morning, late Monday night is when we're going to try to post all of these. I know that's a long time to wait after the preseason games, but they'll be much more timely during the regular season. So if you look for us every uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning, we should have a new episode there for you to listen to. So uh, for Matt out in lacrosse, I'm Eric in Oshkosh, and thank you very much for listening, and the season has begun, folks. Let's enjoy it. <laughs>